and welcome to Trek Companion. This is uh, episode 62. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's second season episodes, The Dauphin, Contagion, and The Royale. Here we go. The Dauphin, season two, episode 10, production number 136, original air date February 20th, 1989, directed by Rob Bowman, written by Scott Rubenstein and Leonard Miodino, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Diana Moldar as Catherine Pulaski, Patty Edwards as Anya, Jamie Hubbard as Salia, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, Colmini as Miles O'Brien, Peter Neptune as Aaron, Madchina Mick as young Anya, Cindy Sorensen as Furry Animal, and Jennifer Barlow as Gibson. The Enterprise is assigned to escort a young girl and her guardian from the planet Caldelva III, where they have lived almost all the girl's life, to the planet she was born to rule. The 16-year-old, Salia, has a chance encounter with Wesley Crusher, who is instantly and obviously smitten with her, much to the dismay of the girl's overprotective guardian, Anya. Salia! Stay away from me! I'm sorry. I don't understand. I can't stay here. I can't have this life. I want it more than anything, but I can't have it. Steve, kick us off. Well, I don't understand, like, if you could turn into a hottie, why would you turn into an old lady? And why would you ever turn into the little furry creatures? I don't yeah, understand know, the choices. I, I think the first couple times I saw this episode, I didn't even realize that the the girl that's briefly in mm-hmm. uh, Celia's quarters was the same Anya. Mm-hmm. I thought it really was like she had an additional entourage or something. It wasn't mm-hmm. until this most recent screening, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> But uh, I, don't I hope know. our listeners don't think that we're sexist. Never <laughs> asked that. We do have female listeners. They email me. Yeah, yeah. We're just we're not heterosexual men with you know. Yeah. I, mean, I think we point out when when they're attractive males, aren't don't we? Um, I, I I'm sure. Well, we 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 talked about beards a few episodes back. You know, hmm. we had a, we had a huge beard conversation, and they <laughs> those were sexy beards. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, I, uh, there's not a whole lot to this. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I remember it just because of the cheese factor, I think. I, oh, my gosh. I it for its cheesiness. And I remember yeah. the, the goofy costumes and all that. That's yeah. the worst thing, you know, is that honestly, tell me what about when they, when they turn into the big fuzzy creature dudes, <laughs> what is different? If they had done that ex- this exact same episode from the original series, would those costumes have looked any different? No, no I can't imagine. Not really. I don't think so. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's just it looks like a guy in a suit, which is what it is. You know, we and we kind of knocked it early. What was the earlier uh, like was it a first season episode? You had the lizard guys and the 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 fox guys on the ship. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, the dog, know. the dog guys. Yeah, dog the dog guys. guys. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, those were those were pretty awful, but those were in a first a traditional like first season not very good episode but here mm-hmm. um here there are some elements of it that's that's kind of okay and, and normal and there's a couple of scenes i kind of like um well the scene with Riker and um Guinan's a good scene yeah it's a it's a very cute Fine, scene yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah maybe it's maybe it's a few lines longer than it needed to be but it's a very cute scene when she says shut up kid 
I think she's um, an incredible actress, but I always felt like she kind of blew the blew the joke. Like I think she waits too long to deliver it or something. I mean, that's, right, not, right. that's probably an editing thing more than anything sure. else. But anyway, but it's a cute scene. I like that scene. See what I like the idea of Wes going around the ship and asking everybody for dating advice. What did you, you say, Adam? I was going to say I also enjoyed the scene with Worf and the old woman. You know, Worf getting into it with an old lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you cannot control me. We shall see. <laughs> um, it, <clears throat> this episode probably could have used a B story. I think that the storyline in this episode should have been a B story in a different A story. <laughs> <laughs> or that. You, know, you could go with that as well. Yeah, that, that's definitely what I think. Um, gosh, <laughs> my first thought is, you know, so uh, Wes is sitting there. It's his, his first kiss ever. Right, mm-hmm. I think we can say that. Um, and then she turns into a big orange dude. That I don't know what that was. <laughs> Talk about therapy for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about never being able to have a normal relationship. <laughs> I wish you would have uh, forgot to change back and then approach him like with her tongue wagging out or something. That'd been fun. <laughs> <laughs> you run screaming. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there are some nice things in this episode. I like the idea of doing an episode about Wesley's first kind of romance, mm-hmm. you know, a young boy's first crush or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's that's worthwhile. That's interesting. Um, I like I like him going around and asking for dating advice from different characters, because obviously we're going to get we're going to learn more about those characters and the way they function in, in those scenes. Um, um, too bad they didn't do this episode after the episode where Data dates that girl, because then he could have asked Data for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we mentioned the the little Guinan Riker scene that's nice. We mentioned um, Anya versus Worf. There's some nice stuff there. Also at the tail, uh, you know, you're a worthy adversary or whatever. You know, I mean, that that's that's it's mm-hmm. cool. Just we've seen that sort of thing before. We're going to see it again. But between Worf and an old woman, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the scene uh, in engineering between Wes and uh, Jordy. You know, when he's like, "Ah, you're you can't concentrate. You know, leave or whatever." But it's it's kind of cute and fun. Um, but even then, Jordy still has to be like, "I've given you two lines of advice, and that's it. I got to work." <laughs> you know, um, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like at the very beginning, <laughs> Worf says, uh, "Do not be fooled by her looks." <laughs> it almost yeah. sounds like um you know don't be fooled by any woman ever you know? yeah yeah um you know, there's there's lots of interesting stuff I, I think it's one of the it's one of the first times we've seen will Wheaton get to do some kind of acting i like in and when he comes into the ready room which by the way wouldn't that be freaky to hear picard over the the, the communicators say uh, when you complete your duties, see me in my ready room. That'd be, that'd be scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, office. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. principal's office. Um, you know, I like that scene in the ready room because it doesn't. We don't just see Wes say, "Okay, I will do as you ask." He he thinks about it, and we get to see him think about it. And there's there's a little opportunity for acting. So I'm giving you kind of the list of kind of a bullet point list of here. I like this. I like that. You know. But overall, um, this episode is is. It's missing such a fundamental thing. Um, it just doesn't have any kind of 
drama, really. I mean, what is your what is the strife going on here? I, I don't know. I, I can't even answer it. The girl doesn't want to go be the princess or whatever. Well, there's a tiny bit of that, but... You never believe she's really going to potentially not do it. Certainly, no. Um, also, she's not one of our main characters, so mm-hmm. I don't... My care, my empathy is very limited. You know, I need I need it to be about my characters. Um, it, it's just like, okay, I'm gonna go beam now. Now, I'm like, what happened to the climax of the story? I don't know. There wasn't one. There was no drama. Um, they kind of tried to pull one out at the last second with with uh, Wes being um, like, well, now that I know you're an orange fuzzy creature, sort of, or. Not, no, that's not even a real form. You're either, not right? human. <laughs> yeah, now that I know you're, you're not human, I'm not interested. Well, now I feel bad. And I kind of run run into the, the uh, transporter room. Well, that's really reaching to just suddenly create some drama right at the end. And besides that, honestly, so so it isn't. There isn't really much drama there. That doesn't feel like a climax. It doesn't feel like the doesn't feel like where the direction the story was going to was that. But and then as a different comment, say what? Because she's not human now. He's he hates her. Hmm. That didn't feel right at all. Did anybody else feel like, oh, that was off? Well, I wasn't sure if it was that or if he was just irritated that she just hid the fact that she's something else. I wasn't sure. But that was enough. That was enough for him to react the way he did. Yeah, I mean, I I know what you're saying. It seemed it seemed harsh. Kind of jerky. Yeah. So this episode, there's like, there's no there there. You know, there's no. Hmm. Um. There's no conflict. There's no conflict in this episode. Well, it's created it conflict with um, her guardian. You know, she's very pushy. That whole scene when in sick bay where she wanted to kill, kill the, the patient. Yeah, yeah. over over the top. You know, it was just kind of manu- To me, it was more manufactured drama. That when now that I'm thinking about it, when when you mentioned that, it's not really yeah. natural drama, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's um. I mean, you think she'd want to keep that a secret, but she's very much like, you know, what is she? <laughs> she wants to kill that patient, and she turns into the, you know, the woolly mammoth creature. It's like, well, you're not really keeping a low profile by <laughs> doing that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's just, there's just too much. I wouldn't, I don't even have much to say about this episode. It's like, no conflict, cheesy costumes. Mm. Yeah, we can just make fun of it, but we can't really. Would you get the? Would you get the? Hear the term changeling. True, true. Maybe the first mention of that. They they even had a different term for it at first, right? Uh, Elasimorph, yeah. Elasimorph, right? I don't know that we hear that term again. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we hear that again. Um, Well, yeah, and this episode would have come out before Star Trek VI, uh, which had um, what's her name? And there was yet another term in that in that movie. I think it's like cameloid or something like chameleon, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. And every time they talk about it, like, myth has it that this person, this creature, species might exist. Somewhere. Oh, gosh, how many times have you seen it? Seems to be quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, even on, on DS9, um, at first they called them shapeshifters before they settle on mm-hmm. changeling. True. But anyway... Um, Seeing it in HD, of course, made the costumes look even worse, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just don't have a lot to say about this. I, I, I want to say more. 
um, you know, mm, yeah, I don't know. A beautiful girl becomes a little fuzzy dude. It's hmm. it's not a very aspirational episode. <laughs> you guys, it's teen, you guys, it's, it's teen love there, Brian. Teen. Well, that, I mean that that's a that's a a, a worthy idea to explore, mm-hmm. but there's no, but there's no what's it about yet. That's, they do a better like, job with it. They do a better job with the Ashley Judd episodes. Actually, <laughs> you I mean it would have been better? I mean, we know it would have been better off the bat just to change a few aesthetic things, like do something simpler than the fuzzy costumes. You know, don't, I mean, just just things like that would have put it in the right <laughs> direction. It's like they worked hard to make it stupid. You know what I mean? Why did Why did we have to even go that direction? You know, I'm not even talking about the 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 story and and just kind of the lack of any kind of inspirational element to it or meaning. You know. Yeah, like what? What's the point of the fuzzy dudes to be scary? Well, it was just silly. They had to, well, maybe they didn't know it was funny. There, there been have ways the, to make it scary. No, uh, oh gosh, what's it's probably name? a budgetary thing. You know, you think about it. You get these scripts, mm-hmm. put these scripts out, and it's like, okay, how are we going to pull that off with you know um, the amount of money that we have? Mm-hmm. Um, we got some old fuzzy costumes in wardrobe. Let's go with that. You know, Rob so. Bowman directed this one, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, I, I think I read that he. He actually had a lot more footage of the fuzzy dudes, and there was supposed to be more of the fuzzy dudes, but he cut them out as much as he could because he thought they, even then, at this time, he thought yeah. they were cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you guys have I mean, anything for what this is about? Well, I mean, like I said, just, just teen love. I mean, you know, it's just first time love. I mean, it might be kind of a stretch, but it's kind of what the episode is about. It's Wesley's first love. Yeah, they may have been trying to go in a direction of the conflicts inherent in in you know relationships and responsibility and so on. But yeah, that's what I was thinking about was response you know, her responsibility to be this leader and stuff. But you know, it's so it's so there's just no there there. Hmm. Uh I guess we'll do we'll keep this one short then. All right. I'd rather move on than uh have too much dead air for our uh, incredibly patient listeners. <laughs> so, the Dauphin. Six degrees for the Dauphin. Uh, Steve, why don't you say it for me since I don't speak French? Okay, probably have to kind of like nasal the second syllable of something like Dauphin or something to that <laughs> effect. Dauphin. Uh, I, do, I did look up the title means dolphin in French. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> 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 it's what they used to call, um, like either princes or princes or something, people that were young but were going to become the king. Ah, yes, yes. In France. Okay. Uh, Steve, Cindy Sorensen plays the little furry version of Anya. She also played a transwarp lizard human thing in one of the most maligned episodes of, well, Voyager, but really all of Star Trek. This is the episode where Paris and Janeway become lizard people and have lizard babies. Name the episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's been a while since I've thought about it, so I'm trying to remember the title. Oh boy. Gosh. Totally blanking on the title right now. Adam? Um, I'm just gonna go with Transwarp. No, it was Threshold. Ah yes. Adam. Who wrote that episode? Hint, he has written more Trek episodes than anyone, and he recognizes Threshold is not his best work. 
Who's the guy that's written more Trek than any other single guy? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, you can have it, Steve. Hmm. That's an interesting piece of trivia. Who's written the most? Um, uh, is it Brandon Braga? Correct, Brandon Braga. I believe he has over 100 episodes to his name since he worked on multiple shows. <clears throat> Moving on. Contagion, Season 2, Episode 11, Production Number 137, Original Air Date, March 20th, 1989. Directed by Joseph L. Scanlon, written by Steve Garber and Beth Woods, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Thalmas Rasula as Captain Donald Varley, Carolyn Seymour as Terrace, Dana Sparks as Williams, Colmini as Miles O'Brien, and Falkert Schmidt as Doctor. <laughs> The Enterprise enters the neutral zone in response to a desperate plea for aid from her sister ship, the USS Yamamoto, which has been crippled by a series of dangerous inexplicable malfunctions on its search of the Iconians, an extinct civilization. When the Yamamoto's captain tries to explain his mission to Picard, the transmission breaks up and the Yamato suddenly explodes. Soon after, a Romulan warship decloaks. Captain. The Enterprise computer system is a lot like our own bodies, with voluntary and involuntary systems. Now, probably 90% of what goes on in the ship is done automatically, completely out of our control. We're sitting on a bomb that could go off any second, or maybe never. We get a lot of uh, kind of cool firsts in this episode, mm-hmm. um, like Picard's love of archaeology, um, Picard's... Uh, Penchant for <laughs> uh, Earl Grey tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, although he has trouble drinking it as a plant. Mm-hmm. I was looking at my notes here and thinking, how did the Yamato get stuck in New Zealand? And then I realized I meant neutral zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's. I think this is a it, eerie. I think the notion of a ship just on the verge of messing up to the point of blowing up and it is 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 a scary concept. And of course, right off the bat, you know, in the in the teaser, you know, we see that happen to a galaxy class ship. I think that's fairly effective. Well, I wonder if, uh, and I was trying to research this, but I didn't find much on it. Was the idea of like a computer virus was that a new thing in the late eighties? I don't. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, but. I didn't. I don't remember really oh. hearing about that or thinking about that around that time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. Adam, what do you think uh, about this? It's a good episode. I mean, it's um, it's engaging. It's entertaining. It's got some mystery to it. Um, like I said, you get a lot of first Picard, Earl Grey. Um, I, I liked it. I mean, I remember liking it when I was younger, and I liked it now. Um, got this, the Iconians, you know, we'll see them in Deep Space Nine, obviously. We've already talked about them a little bit. Um, you know, a civilization that can just travel through portals. It's an interesting concept. Um, yeah, it reminds so, me of um, Stargate, although this came first. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I, it's, the, to me, this is the only you know, kind of good episode that we're talking about today. I don't care for the other two. Uh, but I like Contagion. I also liked it back in the day, and I, and I still like it. You know, even the stuff that maybe is just the tiniest bit dated or cheesy or funny, like uh, Jordy rushing up to the bridge to tell them to destroy the probe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even that, it's cheesy, but it's actually still kind of exciting, uh-huh. you know? 
you know, because um, you you can tell. Okay, he's whatever it is, he's figured it out. He's got to get up there. Um, the way like like when he first runs to the first turbo lift door and it won't let him in, and he's kind of dismisses it with his hand or something. I don't remember. It was just it, it is kind of funny. And of course, he gets thrown all around the turbo lift on the way up to the bridge. <laughs> but, um, but it's but it's still exciting, even when, even if it's a little bit cheesy. Uh-huh. Um, so there's there's a lot there's a lot to kind of enjoy in this one. It it doesn't. I mean, it's not nutty amazing or any, by any stretch, but uh, there's enough uh, to keep it going, you know, for its entire runtime, um, and a lot of original ideas. It feels like. Yeah, and this isn't the first time we'll kind of see this little this kind of episode where Ricard kind of goes off on an archaeological chase. Um, I think we see it at least two more times. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting facet. We get a little bit more, um, a little bit more about Picard and what kind of guy he is. Well, there's some cool data stuff, of course, uh, down on the planet, and then he gets kind of, you know, it's nice little Star Trek bits there where the, he's deciphering the language, and then he uh, ends up back on the ship with the kind of virus going through his system. Although it does, it does take a little bit away from the episode that kind of the solution is just to restart it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the solution is. Um, control Alt Delete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, reboot. Yeah, that's that's that's. I don't. I'm but, not techie at all, and I know that's the yeah. answer to things. Just <laughs> unplug things, turn them off. You know. Yeah, I would have done that the first. <laughs> Why don't we just turn it off and turn it back on? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you're downloading something from uh, unsafe place, when you keep it separate from everything, it's. Yeah, I guess they don't have that um, private browsing button when they're uh, looking at people's logs. Another first, and believe me, this is one of those ones where I did not realize it until I'd read it. This is the first time they name a Romulan Warbird. Huh, we darn, okay. Yeah, so it's an odd one, but never in the original series or Next Gen now, they've never named a Romulan Warbird before, but this one gets a name. Um, yeah, like uh, Caesar, you mentioned kind of the mystery. I like the bits about, you know, at, at first the Yamato's captain thinks that it's um, like a design flaw. Um, so we go through kind of that series of logs. And yeah, you know, we've seen that sort of thing in movies and TV shows before where you're, they're reviewing the logs to kind of follow this narrative. But, you know, it was still a compelling narrative. And I always like seeing captains that are so obviously different than... Picard, just, I mean, it makes, that's how it would be, right? That's something I liked about the original series, too, is anytime you saw, specifically, the captain of another ship, and in this case, it's literally, I mean, I, the ship is identical to the Enterprise, um, just to kind of remind you that Starfleet is bigger than the Enterprise, and these wow. other people are really, they're of the same stature, they also are captains of ships, mm-hmm. um, they have their own kind of unique personalities and stuff, and, which is kind of you know, it just makes it makes the whole universe a little richer and, mm-hmm. and more real. And I always enjoy that. Um, although, of course, both that captain and his ship are pretty short-lived. <clears throat> uh, it makes you kind of think that the only reason it's a sister ship is because it was on screen for such a brief amount of time they didn't want to design a ship just to blow it up two minutes mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. I don't mind that. That's all right. Um Nice. It's always nice to see Picard go down on an away team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's just there's a lot of uh, it, it, there's it just keeps moving. 
Um, it's an entertaining I, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it changes locations a lot. You know, like the Iconian. I don't know if that's the homeworld or whatever, but yeah, no, they said it's the homeworld. The Iconian homeworld. That doesn't even. We don't. We don't beam down to that until I'm sure the last half of the episode. Um, I would like to maybe spend a little bit more time on the 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 ready room discussion between Wesley and Picard. You know, when they're talking about how you know how they deal with, you know, that kind of just gets gets cut off there by the um, the Earl Grey plant. You know, I mm-hmm. kind of would like to see maybe you know a minute or two more of him talking to Wesley on how they deal with death. You know, it was basically just like you know, and you'll be trained to deal with it too. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, thanks. I think they kind of more meaning there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If he really had a chance to answer the question, you know, the, how do they deal with it? More than just saying we're trained, you know. That, I mean, that, you're right. I think that would have been interesting. At first, though, that whole scene felt odd to me. It felt like it was um, unnecessary when he first comes in, but then you realize he's, you know, it's just he's actually in there to talk about something different. But mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to. The average member of Picard's crew could not come to him for the reasons that Wesley came to him, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know, is his is Picard his direct report? You know, you would yeah. think there'd be someone else in that chain of command there. Right. So I guess that's why it felt just the tiniest bit weird to me, and it always does. If he, you know, of course it's different when Picard asks him to come into his ready room, but when he just comes in there, but that's a that's a tiny, totally super minor thing, you know. Um, for the most part, yeah, it's it's just kind of a fun little little romp. Um, kind of even reminded me a little bit of an episode that I definitely enjoy a lot more. But the same kind of thing. Uh, gosh, what's the name of the episode where we eventually find that? Remember, everybody's chasing after the DNA strands, and we find this Salam Jen's pregenitor type character who seeded the galaxy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know what you're wondering. Yeah, yeah, I can't recall the title. I can't remember the name of that one. But, uh, you know, kind of just the tiniest little bit reminded me of that one. Like, the, the stuff that's so good in that is is here, but it's just done better in that episode. But, you know, so so there's enough there's enough to like in it. If I was watching just the highlights of season two, I would include this episode. This would be one that I'd watch. I wouldn't say that about the others today. Um, but, uh, you know, I would. Um, you guys think this episode's about anything? Hmm. Yeah, I was trying to. It's. Yeah, I was trying. To, I was kind of pondering this notion. I mean, because I agree, it's entertaining. A little bit of difficulty coming up with something solid for that. I mean, it, it may. It may be. You know, to the extent. Kind of. If you find your sister in New Zealand, assume she has a disease. Yes, yes. Mm. Yep. And uh, run away. Mm-hmm. Don't download her. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there may be a little bit about uh, the lessons of history or something of that nature. I don't know. Yeah. Civilization, you know, technology. That might be a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, I think it's a stretch. Mm-hmm. I like some of the... Uh, Again, made much prettier in HD, but I like some of the effects work here. When we see when the Amato explodes, and there's that shot you see on the I think it's the view screen where you can see the saucer section kind of burning up and kind of flying over to the right. Mm-hmm. That looks yeah, that looks really fun. cool. Yeah. Uh, hmm. 
I kind of felt yeah. bad. Um, Deanna hasn't had a whole lot to do the last several episodes. Yeah. She's just kind of been sitting there advising. Yeah. Uh, been kind I bet of she was talk. worried that she wasn't going to have a job. <laughs> I, I've said, you know, it's, it's very clear that they, for the, for years, they don't know what to do with her. And most of the time, the the good Troy episodes, and there aren't many, there are only just a couple, right? But the good Troy episodes didn't even, I don't know, they weren't as well perfectly suited to, for her character as say the best Picard episodes are for Picard or the best Data episodes are for Data. You know, um, I, don't, I don't think that's her fault at all. I think she's a, a fine actress. Um, well, yeah, I was just writing. They were ahead of her. Yeah, they never, they never really knew what to do with her. They never really knew what she was there for. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I felt bad here. You know, go um, organize the evacuation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, I was like, like, you know, like, I, like yeah, they would you, already know that. that. Maybe. <laughs> You know, you would think on a on a starship they would have like drills maybe once a month. This is what you do when we need to evacuate the ship. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't really have much of an answer for what it's about, which, you know, by our standards means the episode doesn't hold up so well. I guess this is that exception. We've mentioned this one exception before. You know, when it's when there's enough of a when the plot moves enough, um, when it's a fun kind of mystery and stuff. Uh, you know, if you enjoy Star Trek, I think you can enjoy this episode. There's also a fair amount of techno babble and you know stuff like that in this episode. Um, well, this episode's about fun, mystery, and <laughs> entertainment. Yeah, like, yeah, and that's like that's valid. It's just Scooby Doo yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, well, I mean, yeah, we're we're gonna st- you're gonna struggle to find some sort of um, you know spiritual meaning from this episode that's that's for sure so the iconians would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling <laughs> star officers <laughs> uh, yeah it does make me want to learn a lot more about the iconians you know hmm. okay um ready to move on yep yes all right moving on to uh six degrees for Contagion. Uh, Adam? Yep. Steve got the last one, so the last episode title. Carolyn Seymour plays Subcommander Terrace, the commander of the Romulan vessel. In Next Gen's fourth season, she plays Marasta Yale, a Malkorian scientist that covertly aids Picard in his effort to find his missing first officer. This episode shares its name with one of the Trek features. Name it. With one of the Trek features, huh? Um, first Contact? You are correct. It was First Contact. Steve, in Next Gen's sixth season, Seymour plays a different Romulan commander, Commander Torith, in the episode Face of the Enemy. In this episode, which member of the Enterprise's crew must go undercover as a member of the Tal Shiar aboard Torath's ship? Oh, yes. I remember that one. I kind of like that one. It's uh, Deanna Troy. And you're right, and that's that's the episode one of the first ones I thought of um, when I was trying to think of kind of good Troy episodes. But mm-hmm. that's a sixth that's sixth season, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's see what's our score here. Two um, one, I guess. Nobody got two one. Two one. Two one. Who's got two? Me. Steve. Moving on. 
The Royale, Season 2, Episode 12, Production Number 138, Original Air Date, March 27th, 1989, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Written by Keith Mills, Music Composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Diana Moldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Sam Anderson as Assistant Manager, Jill Jacobson as Vanessa, Leo Garcia as Bellboy, Noble Willingham as Texas, Calmini as Miles O'Brien, and Gregory Beecroft as Mickey D. In an unmapped solar system, the Enterprise discovers a jagged chunk of metal bearing a NASA insignia. An away team beams down to a floating building on a nearby uninhabitable planet, hoping to find a connection between the structure and the ship fragment. Riker, Worf, and Data materialize in front of a revolving door that leads them into the casino of the Hotel Royale, where communication with the Enterprise is suddenly cut off. I have come to understand that the alien contaminators created this place for me out of some sense of guilt. Presuming that the novel we had on board the shuttle about the Hotel Royale was in fact a guide to our preferred lifestyle and social habits. You guys remember the scene when Picard starts reading the book in his ready room and just this, this look of disdain on his face when he realizes the quality of the book that he's reading? <laughs> Picture me you know, watching this episode. <laughs> you know, I know, well, Brian, you know, from the last episode, you know, I didn't really mind this episode that much. I like the concept. And um, I'm curious why, I think this would have been a much better episode if they actually would have went with a better book, a better story inside um, this, you know, revolving door. You know, they kind of, you know, when you go with a crappy, crappy book, that's part of the story. I think um, this episode could have been a lot better because I really do enjoy the concept. And right up until the point until they go into the hotel, I thought I was very intrigued, even even, even knowing what was going to happen. Um, well, I just... Uh, Torme wrote this episode mm-hmm. um, very differently than what the script became, which is why he forced them to... You know, use a pen name. He took so he kind of took his name off it, and it so ticked him off that he's going to only write one more episode, and then he's just going to leave the show completely. Um, so originally, this was way more. I'm not necessarily saying it was better, but it was definitely until the very last minute something very different. It was originally way more surreal. There was way more like comedy, even, mm. um, and they took most of the surreal stuff out. They took the comedy out. They took all the NASA stuff, you know, so now it's just a carcass, basically. That's all that's left, and originally there was way more of that and the actual people. Um, And they did it for no money, so they did it all in almost the entire thing is this one very crappy casino set. Guys, you want to see a good casino set, even in a TV show, look at DS9, (laughs) you know? Um, this feels like somebody got some tables and some chairs. You know, it does not feel like a, I mean, it, it's tiny, it's crappy looking, it's cheap, um, and they spend most of the episode in that environment. Um, so I'm not saying that the other script would have been made for a better episode, but this is definitely one where they changed it to the last minute, changed it completely from what it originally was, and, um, I don't like this episode. I remember it. I don't know why I remember it. I guess because of the NASA imagery at the beginning was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, finding the carcass, the, the like super decomposed body in the hotel bed 
Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, at least, I, I don't know, I guess I thought that was neat or cool or something, but so I'm not exactly sure why I remember this episode, but I've never liked it. And I, and I, I mean, I, the Dao fan actually has, you know, some scenes that I enjoy and, you know, um, but I don't think there's anything redeeming in this episode today. And the Royale, I can't think of anything that I would miss, really, if if they had never made this episode. What I'm reminded of, I mean, in, to some extent, the, 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 the book left on a planet bit, of course, you think of Peace of the Action, original series. The Surreal Sets, original series, I think of Spectre of the Gun. Both of yep. those episodes I like far more <laughs> than this episode, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, you know, when they beam down there, um, and it's just all that blackness with the kind of green storms overhead, and then you see that revolving door just sitting there on black. Or like the Empath episode of the original series. Exactly. That's yes. what I was about to say. You know, oh, sorry, I see those things, and I think, no, no, I didn't mean that. But I, I think like Empath, I think Spectre of the Gun, I think that's sort of surreal that the original series could pull off, mm-hmm. and it. And it worked partly because that's what more of what the show was. Mm-hmm. It was more in in people's heads than you know modern stuff because by necessity, right? Um, but that's not, this is not what next gen is. Um, original series had could pull that off because it, they did episodes that were not as about their main characters sometimes, and and but that's. You know what? Next Gen can't do that. When Next Gen does that, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that go down to the only way team, who is it? Um, Riker, Worf, Data. Um, Riker and Worf could have been replaced with anybody. Mm-hmm. Same exact episode, shot the same way, probably all the same lines. Anybody else could have been in Riker and Worf's position, and they could have made the same script. Um, and that's this, this is not a, this is the opposite of a compliment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, Data, I guess he has a couple of things that only Data could do, like the weight of the die and, and the way he kind of squishes them to refold them so they uh, roll a certain weight or something, I suppose. Um, but for the most part, this episode gives us no insight into any of our characters. Um, it doesn't really give us any insight even into other characters besides our main characters. Um, and even our characters don't react appropriately in it. Like, they beam down there into this blackness and they walk in there and they're so, like, you know, nonchalant. Oh, look, it's a, <laughs> it's a casino from Earth in the 1990s. What? <laughs> We're just going to smile and make jokes and hang out? You don't think we should... I don't know. It's just the kind of stuff that maybe wouldn't bother me if it was any good. But I, God, like I said, there's you know I can watch I can watch Dauphine and and enjoy like the Guinan Riker scene or whatever you know. But there's there's nothing there's nothing in in the Royale. I shouldn't even be talking about it. I'm just it's probably gonna upset somebody that likes it. <laughs> there's nothing in this episode that I find redeemable. What's one what's one thing you like in this episode, Adam? Um, like I said before, I like the concept of the um of the storyline. 
I don't really like the execution. I think they should have done, if they would have went with a better story inside, I'm just going to say the casino, doesn't necessarily, wouldn't even necessarily have to be a casino, but something that was more compelling. When they, when they went through the doors, if there was a story that was more compelling than what we saw, I think it would have been a far better episode. I mean, you know, in the middle, you know, in the middle of the episode, they say this is a really bad book. Well, if you're doing a story about a really bad book, it, your episode's probably going to be a bad episode. So, mm-hmm. um, I think they could have done something a lot more interesting through those revolving doors. I think that's where things started going downhill. You know, you have this cheesy melodrama um, story going on, and, you, and even, even the music is is bad. And um, like I said, I can't help but like the concept and think that something could have much been could have been really done a lot better because, like I said, up until the point where they go through the doors, I, I was very interested in the episode. But um, once they get in there, it's just like, what's why did they decide yeah. to make this choice? It's like the, the entire episode <clears throat> is based on such a single undeveloped idea mm-hmm. that they try to explore it, and of course, it's nothing but it's of course it's just dull. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. dull, you know. I don't. You know what it feels Care. like? It feels like a bottle show without the bottle. You know, it's <laughs> like a... I mean, and, and bottle shows aren't necessarily bad episodes. It's just that it's so claustrophobic mm-hmm. in a way, and and it just there's nothing compelling about it that it's just mm-hmm. like a stage play or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I literally... So, okay, I uh, had to watch this the last episode of this one relatively later last night from what <clears throat> bed and i get it partly was because i was tired and it was later but i literally was drifting off during <laughs> and my notes reflect that i mean I, the last few are just fragments i don't even remember going to bed i don't know how it got there but anyway yeah when when my notes say something like data plays blackjack while wearing a hat <laughs> That's that's the most interesting thing I can write down. It's like a children's book. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, Steve, is can you name one thing that you find redeeming in it? I liked it when Data said something about business when he mocked business. Business that because Data because Brent Spiner is so funny. I like that. I like right at the beginning when Jordy is looking at the readings about the messed up planet. You know, it's yucky, and he says. Ooh, nasty. Yes, I wrote I wrote nasty down. It's like what do they why do they do that with Jordy? I mean we so we saw yeah. him walking around a turbo lift. It's almost like he's like <laughs> they just punish him or something. You know, let's give him <laughs> silly lines, let's have him do crazy stuff like flopping around a turbo lift. What's up with that? Well we didn't even so- we didn't even mention in the episode, you know, he got thrown around in that turbo lift and later on in that episode he got chunked by data. He just get gets beat up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the scene that I did like when um, Dana was telling Worf that he had to go around and socialize, and Worf's like, uh, I don't know, you know, they kind of made it seem like Worf doesn't know how to socialize with humans. Hmm. Is this episode about anything? Um, don't go through the revolving door. Uh-huh. Life is a revolving door. Well, that was another thing I was disappointed with, too, watching this episode, you know. So they described this floating rock in the atmosphere, and we, you briefly touched on this a minute ago, like, and, you know, they beam down to basically a dark room with this fuzz overhead. I'm like, you know, they could have done something really cool special effect-wise, you know, a floating rock in an atmosphere. It's like, that sounds really cool, and then they go down there, and it's like, it's just a black room. So that was kind of disappointing there. I'm just piling on now. So, so uh, you don't have any. You say it's not about anything. Um, no, 
Um, like I said, if the story, you hit it on the head earlier. You know, if the story inside the inside the the revolving doors was a compelling story that moved our characters in some way, this could have been a much better episode. But um, we didn't get that. We just kind of got a cheesy. Even even in the episode, they say that the Hotel Royale book is bad. Yeah, but they are reliving the stories from it. You know, its story in the casino. And for that, even that, what do we get? We get like a line or two about the bellboy seeing some gangster's girlfriend, and the gangster shows up and shoots him. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of the stories from Hotel Royale. Yeah, it doesn't even have a happy ending. I mean, you know, the I guess the protagonist in the movie, um, you know, wins the day. Um, your hero gets shot in the back. Yeah, I mean, if if if, if you gotta go that way, if you gotta say the in, the whole notion is this is a bad book that this is going to be based on, then I think you need to go take the comic route. You know, you'd have to make it something funny or something. Like everything would have to be exaggerated, so cheese that it's, you know. That was the original script. I'm certain of that. I don't. Yeah. I've never read it, but I don't know. Royale with cheese. That was what I was thinking about too. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Six degrees for the Royale. Steve. Yes. Um. No. Adam. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jill Jacobson plays Vanessa, the gambler that... What's our score, by the way? Steve has two, Adam has one? I think right. so. Yeah. All right. Jill Jacobson plays Vanessa, the gambler that Data in Texas play Blackjack with in DS9's fourth season. She played Shalon Arroya in the episode Broken Link. In this episode, Garrick attempts to set Arroya up with which member of DS9's crew? Um, would that be Odo? You're correct. It was Odo. Uh, and I switched it just now, Steve, because I thought since you mentioned Royale with cheese that you deserve this question. Uh, in France, why do they call a quarter pounder with cheese a Royale with cheese? Well, it's a metric system. So that's right. Yeah, it's a metric yeah. system. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that for 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. You know, folks, uh, I think we all kind of like Contagion. Thought Dauphine was uh, Dauphin was um, Dauphin. God, I can't say that. Dauphin <laughs> was was okay. Um, was okay, and then Royal not so much. Royal was it, it was bad. Um, that episode sucked. Um, but we were just mentioning it during our break. Really, um, season two, you know, seasons one and two of Next Gen are are weak. They're very weak, but. We're we're getting through these weaker episodes, and we're excited to get into the hot, good, solid stuff. Uh, you know, we're recording this a couple of days before we post it, and I I just went to uh, Best Buy today and bought uh, uh, Next Gen Season Three on Blu-ray. Um, I'm very excited to get into that. Of course, we'll be there in uh, two, four, three, what six weeks? I think something like that. Uh, speaking of our upcoming schedule, all right. So I asked last time if. Uh, if you guys had an opinion, our listeners, about whether we should do a dedicated Into Darkness podcast. And with one exception, every email I got said, yes, give us a dedicated Into Darkness podcast. Um, so we are going to do that. And our plan is, rather than disrupt our bi-weekly next-gen episodic discussion, that is going to stay on schedule just like normal. But... Um, so that means we'll be posting an episode. Um, May our next episode will be posting on May sixteenth, uh, which is you know like the within a day of when Into Darkness comes out. 
which means we'd normally be waiting two more weeks for another episode, but we're going to post, we're going to do an Into Darkness discussion, which is going to post on probably the 23rd, that Thursday. So we're going to, con- every, we're going to continue with our bi-weekly stuff, but we're just going to slide in in the, one of those interim weeks that we normally wouldn't post anything. We're going to post an Into Darkness discussion. Um, so if, there, if any of you that didn't write in don't want it, skip it. And you'll get your uh, normal bi-weekly fix just on schedule. Uh, that said, um, so we are tentatively planning at least um, one friend of the show is going to join us for that discussion. Uh, and for that Into Darkness discussion, um, our listeners, if you, I'm assuming you guys are going to go see this movie. If you want to send us an email with your thoughts about it, uh, if you want to record some audio yourself, I'll put it on, you know, try to keep it, you know, short, like, if you're going to send this audio, try maybe keep it a minute or less, um, maybe two if you if you really have to. But you know, keep it short. Um, so send us the audio uh, MP3. You can email it to us or uh, or send us an email with some text so we can include your thoughts and opinions on the movie too. Think it's great? Think it sucks? Skipped it? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, anyway, so get those emails and, and audio things to us. Um, I know it's going to be short notice there, but if you can get them to us no later than, um, gosh, the very end of Monday, May 20th, or let's say Tuesday morning, you know, let's say the 21st in the morning, something like that. Get them to us by then, uh, and we will include them. Um, so we're excited about that, looking forward to that. Last thing I want to mention very briefly is uh, last week I went to the Fathom event for the Best of Both Worlds. I went to the one in Century City, so it was it was so much fun because there were so many great people in the audience. And then, of course, they came, a few people came up front and spoke. Um, just sitting behind me, I, the Reeves Stevens, um, Michael Westmore, uh, gosh, several other people. I can't even remember. Um... And then came up in front of us and talked a bit. There was uh, LeVar Burden, Elizabeth Dennehy, um, Ira Bear was there. Um, and then, of course, both the Akutas and all of those people spoke. And, uh, you know, Robert Burnett and Roger Lay, the guys doing the extras, um, the value-added material for the new Blu-rays, they were all there. Um, I think that was the first time I've ever seen Ira Stephen Bear. Uh, he was only on one season of Next Gen. If I recall correctly, before you know, being the showrunner on DS9, but I was like walking behind him for a while, and I thought, "It's very dark in this theater, and that man is wearing sunglasses." <laughs> I wonder if he's Ira Bear because he kind of looks like him. I've never seen him in person, but he kind of looks like him from the interviews I've seen. But he never comes to stuff like this, so I don't think so. But no, it was Ira Bear, <laughs> so that was cool. Um, he got up there and said a few words about um, Michael Pillar. So that was neat. So it was fun, you know. It, it was fun. And I got to say, I don't think I like those things cut together. I didn't realize it until we were watching it. But my favorite part of Best of Both, Best of Both Worlds Parts 1 and 2 is the to-be-continued moment at the end of mm. Part 1. Mm. It really is. I didn't realize that until seeing it without the awesome, you know, I think it's Ron Jones, the music kind of hitting and all that stuff. Uh, fire. You know, th- that big moment is just gone when they cut them together. 
Well, it's the best cliffhanger in all of Star Trek. Yeah, and the cliffhanger is gone when they cut them together like that. Did you I think I would that? almost rather watch them as parts one and two immediately back to back than watch them this way. <laughs> Did you buy it that way? You know, the cut together that they sold. I I didn't buy it today, um, but I uh, I probably will just just for uh, I want to listen to that commentary track and you know it's cheap. It, I think it list for 20 bucks so people are selling it like for 15 i'll probably wait till i find it on sale for 10 bucks or something since i'm buying the seasonal sets you know they're getting i'm supporting them they're getting they're getting my money mm-hmm. so i'm mm-hmm. certainly encouraging them to continue putting these sets out um but i probably i'll probably buy it eventually and they, they already just announced that the next you know they're going to have a redemption single like parts one and two together i don't know about that that seems I don't even know if I'll milking it. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know if I'll buy that, but they're getting me for this season. So, I mean, it is kind of cool if you, like, I remember that guy from WonderCon who got up and said he just can't afford these, the, um, these box sets, but he loves being able to go to the Fathom stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cool thing about like this Best of Both Worlds single disc or the upcoming Redemption or even the next level disc they put out here. The cool thing about that is they're they're cheap enough that. I think pretty much anybody could probably pick them up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that they've got a cheaper option for people. Anyway, so Fathom event, cool. Fun was had by all. Well, yeah, I can see them doing that. Didn't they do like a cat Picard Captain series with the DVDs? They did like these little yeah, yeah, and that episode was, series. That was, I'm sure they'll do that with the Blu-rays. Yeah, like my brother likes Star Trek. That's the kind of thing he would own. He's not going to own the whole seasons. And that, that's cool. Great. I think it's great. Hmm. Of course, what sucked as a Trek fan, though, is some of those box sets, like the time travel collection of the captains, those things, some of the times they'd have exclusive extras. So you get you, they got they got to get you somehow. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it's like this best of both worlds. It has an exclusive commentary. It has an exclusive making of. Um, so it's on my list. I'll just wait until I find it cheap. Anyway, uh, it's such a great time to be a Star Trek fan. <laughs> you know, Ooh. we're getting these... Every few months, and boy, I sure hope that uh, they go into DS9 and, and Voyager. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be so great. Okay. And uh, well, we actually are about. Well, no, I know you probably won't like to hear this, Brian, but this is all about syndication. You know, they're having to upgrade all these shows so they can keep showing on showing these syndicated. Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 sure of that. I'm kind of surprised that they're not making. I know we would not want them to. You know, crop it sixteen nine or something. I, I want the whole four by three image. I want the images that was originally done, but I'm kind of surprised. Like it, they haven't even shifted the titles so they could easily be like real time cropped for broadcast syndication, which is what I assumed they would be doing. And I'd be flipping channels and see Picard's head cut off just so it'd fill up a screen and be like, oh, man. <laughs> but uh, boy, this is getting really nitty gritty uh, here, and I think we have a lot of listeners that are gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> if they're still listening at this point. <laughs> that is true. So we've already re- uh, recorded a discussion about our pre-Into Darkness thoughts. Um, and I, I think we'll just, I'm just going to save that and stick it at, at the beginning of uh, our Into Darkness discussion. We'll see how we kind of think then versus, wait, now versus then. <laughs> so thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, so send us your, your Into Darkness things. Let's let's just say by by morning of you know, United States 21st. time, morning of Tuesday the 21st. Uh, email or send us um, audio clip. Keep it short. Um, unlike me and my sign-off here. Uh, so that we can include them. Um, in the meantime, 
email us at trekcompanion at gmail.com. That's also where you can send those into darkness thoughts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. Um, our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Uh, and until next time, we love you. Have a good night. Bye, guys. See you.